0: all work before the second industrial revolution was purposeful Mm -hmm. for example i made shoes so my neighbor could have shoes Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. i farmed so that my neighbors could eat Mm -hmm. so this idea of purposeful work as like a generational thing or a fad or a trend is is ridiculous. All work was purposeful.
1: (laughs) I'm Jamie O'Kane, CPA, small business advanced tax planning and compliance extraordinaire. And this is the Abundant Means Podcast. The podcast that takes my love for learning what makes people tick while digging into the good, bad, and ugly of small business ownership. We strive to give you the insight that only those in the trenches of being and working with entrepreneurs can provide. Today, I'd like like to welcome to the podcast, Zach Mercurio.
0: That's right. Yes.
1: Uh, Zach is an organization and leadership development researcher, an associate professor at CSU, go Rams, a best-selling author and faculty at the Center for Purpose and Meeting at CSU. I didn't yeah, even
0: know that was a thing. Yeah, Department of Psychology. That's so cool. There's actually a meaning in life laboratory there, headed by Dr. Michael Steger. It's amazing. I am
1: so jealous that that's a thing now. I like yeah, it I'm to am back now. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Zach puts his incredible passion, thoughtful intelligence, and heart of gold to use towards enabling purposeful and meaningful experiences for everyone, literally everyone who works. I love it. Welcome.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. um, I'm excited. Um, I was actually going through your LinkedIn and I saw some of the classes you teach at CSU and I was like, oh, how come this was not a thing when I was there?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's kind of a new thing. Positive psychology. It's yeah. a bit of a, I say it's in its, in its toddler phase. As yeah. A
1: field yeah, and I love it. Um, so we've had Josh Allen Dexter on, which you were friends mm-hmm. with, and then, you know, Josh Baseman, which, you know, this, this is just fun. It was fun mm-hmm. for me to talk about. I love organizational culture. I love understanding how psychology works and work. Um, so, but first, for you, what was your first job?
0: Oh, my first job ever? Mm-hmm. My first job ever is I worked at the Gap.
1: <laughs> That's the new one. I love it. Folding And I shirts. wore the headset.
0: So mm-hmm. it was back then when you wear the headset, mm-hmm. you know, get me the leather jacket from the back. Mm-hmm. And I used to do stock at the Gap too. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So I used to work, I worked retail. Don't worked they still
1: lot. wear headsets?
0: No. <laughs> no, They probably have some sort of uh, more innovative technological solution.
1: Because <laughs> they do at Old Navy.
0: Oh, they do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's a Gap company. Yeah. So yeah, I worked at the Gap. So
1: you're in charge of all the laundry folding now?
0: I'm very good, I still remember. I mean, this is something that's interesting about work.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And just when we think about work, like yeah. it, does, it does give us these memorable imprints in mm-hmm. our brain. And yeah. yeah, I do know how to fold a shirt.
1: <laughs> to a proper little yeah. square. I don't have the
0: square, I don't have like the little cardboard template where I fold it on, but I know how to fold a shirt.
1: So I um I used to wait wait tables for the longest time. So like anytime we go out to eat or whatever, and there's more than like three cups, I can carry four. And that's my family, amazing. My, my family my family's always just like, how do you? And I was like, practice. So yeah, mm-hmm. like the imprints of like how we, you know, how we still do that stuff.
0: Yeah, and that's what like I think how we make meaning in work is how we make meaning in life a lot mm-hmm. of times, mm-hmm. and even if we don't want to or don't think we are <laughs> and that's a good example of that
1: yeah i mean and a lot of it's transferable skills i was talking to somebody about this the other day it might have been Josh strikes extra like how um serving is just like this huge it's a really like an ability to deal with populations and to deal with people and to you know to multitask and to deal with you know disgruntled people and like it's just it kind of gives you a really like really good overview of how life works, <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: or of how like business works and things like that. Um, and I didn't even think about that until we we're having that conversation, but I was like, this is why it's so important that everybody go wait tables at some point.
0: <laughs> and think about what they're learning, where they are right now.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's oftentimes important. I
0: think we try to like get to the next thing and we forget that right mm-hmm. now is important.
1: Yeah. So give us, um, Give us your career journey. Give us a synopsis of your career journey um, and how you ended up where you are now.
0: Yeah, I think fairly typically in the mm-hmm. US, I was educated for success. So oh, okay. I was educated to get a mm-hmm. good starting salary.
1: Mm-hmm. To get a um, degree. and then To get acquire
0: a and achieve things, mm-hmm. you know, to prove my success. You know, that mm-hmm. was success. Sort of the, the, when you achieve enough merit, you'll be successful. Mm-hmm. And that led me into a very, good job in advertising right outside of uh, undergrad, which Mm -hmm. I went to James Madison University in Virginia. And I was doing really well in advertising. The problem was, is that when I was out working with the human beings in these businesses that actually needed our advertising to grow their businesses, Mm -hmm. which was their life's work, I would go back to the office and all we would talk about was targets, quotas, sales goals, how much we could acquire and achieve and not the human being That was inevitably at the end of what we were doing
2: Mm.
0: and that like dissonance was very real for me and i felt when i was with those people i felt this sense of just like my organization didn't care about the people it served Mm. didn't care about its very reason for existence and i slowly i had all the outward indicators of success but inside i was wasting away And, you know, that experience now that I know really reaffirms the research that we know that human beings aren't sustainably fulfilled by what they acquire and they achieve, because at some point you'll achieve it. And then what? Or you won't. And then what? Mm-hmm. And I got to that then what phase in that job. And I had an interaction with a cab driver that dramatically, literally changed everything. And it's that. the only cool story I have to tell. So I tell it on every podcast that I'm tell on. Tell it. I love it. be like, he's going to tell the cab story now. <laughs> yeah, because it's the only cool thing I have. It's this moment. <laughs> and I was in this parking lot in Washington, D.C. Cab driver pulls up to me, gets out of his cab. He's smoking a cigarette. He asks me, how are you doing today? And I grumbled, is it the weekend yet? and it was Tuesday at the time, and it, mm-hmm. that's embarrassing to look back on, mm-hmm. but that's how like, everybody around me talked about work.
2: Mm-hmm. Is it the weekend
0: yet? How many people live for two sevenths of their lives the weekend? Right. It's yeah. disturbing. And then I asked him, how's it going? I expected this cabbie to like hate his job, and he just lit up. He started talking to me about the passengers he had that day by name, um, that he was people's friends mm-hmm. they didn't talk to anymore, their parents they didn't talk to, that he was the first experience for people coming to the United States, uh, Mm -hmm. because he did a lot of pick people up from the international terminal at the airport. And uh, I was really, and this guy was joyful. He got in his cab, he drove away. And I was like, how do you learn that perspective? So he did not talk about what he did. Mm -hmm. He did not talk about how he did it. He did not talk about his life situation or circumstances. He talked primarily about his contribution.
1: That's really cool.
0: And uh, I became obsessed from that point on. I quit my job and I became obsessed with understanding how to develop a contribution-centered perspective and what Mm -hmm. makes life and work meaningful, what makes it matter. Um, And it's been a really exciting journey because the uniting trait of every human being is that we are wired to search for purpose wherever Mm -hmm. we are.
1: That's really interesting. I love that yeah it kind of brings me back to like every time i'm in in an uber i'm like trying to like get to their life story (laughs) because because my husband like is always kind of freaked out when i'm ubering and i'm like well if if they like me they may not steal me so i'm gonna make them like Mm. me (laughs) and then yeah yeah we might be good um but it's always people's stories are so interesting
0: Yep. And sometimes even someone will say, you know, I talk to people too a lot just because the nature of my research has been with frontline workers mm-hmm. and how they experience meaningfulness. I will say to like an Uber driver, um, you know, do you like your job? And they'll say no.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Or they'll, some of them will say no. Some of them will say yes, they love it.
2: Mm-hmm. But then
0: even if they say no, I'll say, well, when did you, when does it matter to you? And they mm-hmm. often go on and have these big conversations about all of these experiences with passengers they have, mm-hmm. how they mm-hmm. love certain aspects of it, and you know that's that meaning making process that we all have in our work that we derive meaningfulness from work a lot.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, we have to. We're here all the time. Have right? to. <laughs> yeah.
0: I know forty percent of our waking lives, right?
1: Oh man, that just means I don't sleep enough.
0: I know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, um, so. Let's talk about the role of psychology in the workplace. I know this is kind of new and emerging. You said um, Mm -hmm. earlier, I think before we started recording, that it's in its toddler phase. Um, So let's talk about, you know, what is the current role of psychology and how is it emerging?
0: So traditionally in psychology and in society in general, we've taken a disease model approach to people.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: How do we ensure people do not get diseased? The problem is, is that the absence of disease is not thriving.
1: Our wellness,
0: yeah. Our wellness, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, organizations and, and managers and organizational psychology has generally taken an approach that what are the problems we need to fix? Mm-hmm. Um, how do we need to address our challenges? How do we need to survive and be profitable? Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like survive, produce, and win worldview. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that's left people incredibly depleted, <laughs> in work. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you, you know, employee engagement's a big thing. If you look at Gallup's results from around the world, when they started measuring engagement back in the mid 2000s, and then you look to now and you were to put it on a line graph, it's just flat. Even though we know that people are disengaged, we still haven't done anything meaningful to get people more engaged, enthusiastic about their work mm-hmm. because we we're, we're, we still live in that survive, produce and win worldview, the achieve mm-hmm. and, and acquire and produce uh, way of being. Now, I'm not going to say that those things are important because those things ensure that an organization survives to deliver a purpose right, right, right. or to deliver a place where people can thrive in the first place. Mm-hmm. So I want to make that clear. But the additive worldview is how do people in work thrive? How do in people in work flourish? not just how do we keep them here? How do we keep them on payroll, mm-hmm. but what contributes to human flourishing and there 's three things that have really been emerging that we 've found pretty concretely linked to this experience of flourishing of well being and the first is having positive meaning,
2: mm-hmm. so
0: we have to know that what we do and that we matter, that we have significance, that mm-hmm. what we 're doing has significance. I mean, if you think of what you'd be willing to do to experience significance and what people are willing to do, it's Mm -hmm. really amazing. (laughs) The second is positive emotion. Mm. So we know that negative emotion like anger, frustration, cynicism, Mm -hmm. shrinks the parts of our brain that actually plan and coordinate the future. So when we experience more negative emotions, we get trapped into a cycle of not being able to respond to everyday life better. So we experience stress. Mm. So experiencing positive emotion. And then the third is positive relationships,
2: Mm
0: -hmm. relationships that regenerate you and don't extract from you.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, And those three things uh, really right now, I think are at the forefront of how we're thinking about psychology in the workplace in moving people into experiences of thriving and flourishing, not just surviving.
1: Um, I have so many questions about that, but we'll in a minute. <laughs> so you already answered an- answered my next question, which is what are the biggest drivers of a positive work culture? So it really mm. sounds like, you know, the you know, positive meaning, the positive emotion and the positive relationships. But how do we get there?
0: Yeah, it sounds simple, right? Like in theory, this stuff is great. Like go create positive meaning, positive emotions, and positive in your workplace, and then you'll be healthier and as a byproduct, more profitable. Like that's the sort of stimulation economy we Mm -hmm. live in with thought leaders and all of this stuff. Right. There's a big difference between stimulation and transformation though. Yes. Everybody's stimulated by the idea of building a workplace in which people experience positive meaning. Mm -hmm. But to get to a transformative practice, you have to move from the stimulating idea So really examining your old beliefs, Mm -hmm. developing new beliefs, developing new values, Mm -hmm. developing new behaviors, and then turning those behaviors into habits. So how do we get there? So like a thing like positive meaning, for example, meaningfulness and experiencing meaningfulness in work and enabling Mm -hmm. it for someone else. And meaningfulness, Mm -hmm. I mean, we experience something as positive and significant and purposeful. We know why it matters and why we matter. Right. That is a practice. So we know there are things that an individual can do.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: For example, uh, if you wanted to experience more meaning in your work, learning to discern the meaning in what you're doing right now, even though it may not be pleasurable, is a really important skill. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, take something you don't like in your job right now. And I know people are probably in their cars or (laughs) wherever they are, like, freaking out. But think about something in your Mm -hmm. job that you don't like doing and just ask yourself, what would happen to a human being if I did not do it? Like the people around you or mm-hmm. your end user. And all of a sudden, that thing that you didn't like mm-hmm. from a pleasure perspective mm-hmm. has meaning. And so that's a skill set. That's called like job crafting. So that's something that you can do to craft your perception of your tasks. Now, on the flip side, a leader can make it easier for someone to experience meaningfulness. For example, when a leader's delegating a task, we often tell someone what to do and how to do it. We know people are not intrinsically motivated by instructions Mm -hmm. or instruction manuals. (laughs) They're motivated by why they need to read the instruction manual, Mm -hmm. why it matters, what that enables something to do, right? Whatever, Mm -hmm. if you open up a new blender, you're thinking about the smoothie that comes out of the blender. That's why you're reading the instruction manual, not because you just want to read instructions, right? I love that. This is how we structure work. Mm -hmm. Um, And and we give people skills without the energy to use them. So a a, a leader could, for example, say, hey, this is the significance of this task on another human being. Mm -hmm. This is how this task fits into a bigger whole. Mm -hmm. Here's how you can use your strengths to do it. Even if we start delegating tasks like that, we can develop positive meaningfulness.
1: Hmm. There are ways
0: of doing, these are practices.
1: So say that again for me. What So a leader needs to do what when they're delegating a task? Yeah.
0: Like this is an example, like a yeah, concrete yeah. I, like, I love it on, though. on the ground practice mm-hmm. and it's called pr- uh, purposeful job design. Okay. So there are three things we know that make any task motivating. Mm-hmm. And the first is called task significance. Okay. So we have to know that it matters. So how it matters to another human being, whether it's a teammate, someone else outside of the self. Okay. The second thing is task identity. We have to know how the task makes a bigger whole possible. It's it's really surprising and revealing how often we show people what to do, but we don't show them what it makes possible
1: or why we're doing it.
0: Like even just the bigger product of what it contributes, what it allows Mm. people to do. Um, And that's a function of the assembly line and our whole industrial revolution of working on parts of products Mm -hmm. and not the whole, right? Right. And then the third is, it's called skill variety, but it's when people can use their strengths to do the task, they experience meaningfulness. So like if you have someone in your office that doesn't like doing something, Mm -hmm. asking them those three questions. Do they know why it matters? Mm-hmm. Do they know how what it makes possible? And can they use their strengths to do it? Often you can get down to the root of motive, most motivational issues in organizations.
1: Really interesting.
0: Yeah, it is. Thank it you. is. Really interesting.
1: <laughs> I need it right now.
0: <laughs> and very useful, right? Because right. the experience of meaningfulness is not the experience of pleasure. Right. This is difficult for people to understand. I research janitors, mm-hmm. people who society in research, sociological research, society has relegated as difficult, less desirable professions. Mm -hmm. And what we find in, uh, janitors that experience meaningfulness is that they constantly tell themselves stories of why the work matters. So I had a janitor in our study who said to me, you know, I don't like going in and cleaning bathrooms, Right. but every day I do it because I'm there doing it. I say, I'm doing this so that the kids in this dormitory don't get sick. Mm. That's so that link mm-hmm. I'm doing this so that what brings us meaning and it can actually make the task itself meaningful even though the task is not pleasurable
1: mm. so how does a leader take somebody who doesn't see meaning ever or worry about meaning right how mm. does a leader model that in a way that's tangible I would people. say
0: first that the leader has to experience meaning in their work. Well, but,
1: right. <laughs> you
0: know? So like I always say cultivate, people always ask me, what's the best practice? And I say, mm-hmm. it's the one you already do. Right. Like, the best practice for deriving meaning in your work is the one you do to remember mm-hmm. why your work matters. So I would work individually with the leader first. <laughs> but the second thing that I would have them do is we are, have the incredibly powerful role to give meaning to others.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Often when we affirm people, like when somebody, when somebody does a good job, what do we typically say?
1: Good job. Or thanks yeah, for like that Yeah, like really thing.
0: good job or let's have an end of the year award banquet. You know, mm-hmm. those types of things. Research funds, those aren't very effective. In fact, sometimes one-off appreciations that are vague have the opposite effect, that it's inauthentic.
2: Mm-hmm. That
0: people don't know what I'm doing. So a simple thing is giving better affirmation. So when something, someone does something good, instead of telling them good job, show them very vividly through a story the difference that they make. Um, You know, an example is if, uh, I was just working with a uh, administrative assistant that had worked with uh, their CEO and the CEO had been out for a couple of weeks Mm -hmm. uh, with a family illness. And I was in this group, and it was a smaller group in a company. And I just asked, um, I asked that question, You know, when have you felt like your work was
2: mm-hmm. most
0: meaningful? And the administrative assistant, and the, the CEO didn't know he did this, but the administrative assistant said that, he, that she had been filtering out uh, her emails mm-hmm. you know, as she was away.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and the CEO came in and, and showed her what she was able to work on because it freed up that time.
1: Oh, that's awesome.
0: And so those are types of things. How do you show people the difference that they make? If someone uh, makes a difference in a customer's life, show them that story. Have Mm -hmm. that customer tell them the difference that it made directly. Those types of little things over time are really powerful.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: You can also show people the evidence of their works, meaning by uh, story collecting and Mm storytelling. So making sure that you're, you're all the way to the front line of your workplace understands the story of the work's impact on another human being. Mm-hmm. So making those regular though, like, I mean, in any time you have a touch point with your team, mm-hmm. you should be reminding them why the work matters okay. That's in really my view. Yeah,
1: That's really interesting. Um, so how does, um, actually I want to, <laughs> I've got all these random arrows and stuff i'm making a lot of notes right now uh so right. where does meaningful work lie on maslow's hierarchy
0: so the problem with maslow is yeah. that there's not a lot of data behind it right uh number one so mm-hmm. it hasn't ever been empirically or, or research or validated mm-hmm. in the research <laughs> it's a great theory to make sure it that it is a great theory people know what they need but the the Maslow not didn't intend it to be linear. Like you get to this, then you get to this, then you get to that. Right, because, because people we go can, all can. Right, people day. Can be. People can be. People are simultaneously mm-hmm. what they need and what they desire. Mm-hmm. So, like for example, I had a one of those janitors in my study recently said to me that I got this job for a paycheck. This person was, this guy was almost homeless before Mm. he got this janitor job at the university. He said verbatim. He goes, I got this job because I needed a paycheck, but it's not why I want to keep coming here. Those are two different things. (laughs) The meaning of work to somebody for survival is different than meaning in work,
1: Mm. which is the
0: experience they have when they're there. And what he said to me was that my supervisors treat me like I'm just here for a paycheck. And one of the biggest, I think, issues that managers and leaders have made Mm -hmm. is that they assume that people are just there to get paid well. Well, Mm -hmm. we know that after a certain threshold, benefits, the things that people acquire and achieve don't produce long-term fulfillment. And here's the other thing. We know that the human brain is a meaning-making machine by default. So whether that person even knows it, when they come in and they, for a paycheck, they're making meaning while they're there. And the meaning that they make while they're there because they spend all their time there is inevitably linked to the, oh my gosh, that was awesome, <laughs> to the type of meaning You're so excited. that in there, I will. the type of meaning that they make in their lives. Huh. So, um, so one, why people work is necessarily not why people want to keep coming into work and what mm. they want to feel while they're there. Mm -hmm. So I think people can be simultaneously what they need basically Mm -hmm. and what they inherently desire as human beings and we Hmm. desire relationships We desire connection. You're seeing that right now. We desire Fulfillment, Mm -hmm. I mean some people say to me Zach this this meaningfulness stuff is like a generational thing you kind of look like an early-stage millennial (laughs) and I'll raise my hand. I'm actually have, a late stage moment. Yeah, but very or Whatever, a very, or however, early, however you describe very, it. Very, very early stage. Millennial. So I'll describe, I always say this like when I'm in a group of people, mm-hmm. if I have people in every generation, I ask, raise your hand if you'd prefer not to experience meaningfulness in your work. <laughs> not one person raises their hand. I think sometimes we just don't know how to talk about it and how to do mm-hmm. it, which makes it like, is this a fluffy thing? It's not. <laughs> it's a basic need, I think.
1: It's really interesting, um, I, you know, I've worked in places where it's like, we don't have feelings here, or whatever, and I'm just like.
0: Meanwhile, that's a feeling.
1: <laughs> right, right? Well, if we're not allowed to have feelings, then how do we make any changes around here, right? Right. Uh, or it have been
0: like, um, you, you just had a feeling.
1: <laughs> I just kind of was like, huh, hmm. <laughs> huh? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, uh, I'm a zennial. So I'm right there on that Gen X Z cusp. Me too. Um and it's interesting a lot of the time to be yeah. kind of on that cusp because we're we think differently about the world a lot of the time. Yeah. But then my husband is like 25 days older than me but he's like literally a boomer. <laughs> like yeah. in his mentality a lot of the time and I'm just like how do we how did we get
0: here? I know. That's funny. That's funny.
1: <laughs> um okay so you're answering my questions as we go so how does how and where we work affect our whole lives Hmm. so you kind of talked about that but like how does you know we're having a place with crappy culture with you know you know we work all we do is we work for people you know or we're putting more money in Scrooge McDuck's vault which I've said before I actually feel like I worked for that guy for a little while and it was horrible
0: It is. It could be draining. It was really Well, it affects, again, like I think just thinking about that, if you spend a large part of your waking life at work Mm -hmm. and you make meaning of that work as meaningless or negative, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: that inevitably affects how you think, how you sleep, uh, how you interact with people outside of work, how you vote, how you buy things. I mean, meaningful work is not like a nice to have. It's a... I think it's a public health concern. Mm. Um, And, you know, there are people out there that say, well, you know, I just work for a paycheck. I I just get the paycheck. You know, I work so I can give my family a Mm. a better life. That's actually a version of purposeful work. Right, you have a purpose. Because you're transcending yourself as you're thinking about your work. So you're probably Mm. actually better at your work because you're working purposefully. So your work actually is meaningful in your life, even though you just told me it wasn't. Yeah. So uh, it's that, that transcendence um, in the late 1800s in the industrial, uh, the second industrial revolution, mm-hmm. this was when, so I all work before the second industrial revolution was purposeful. Mm-hmm. For example, I made shoes so my neighbor could have shoes,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? Mm-hmm. I farmed so that my neighbors could eat.
2: Mm-hmm. So
0: this idea of purposeful work as like a generational thing or a fad or a trend is is ridiculous, right. all work was purposeful, before the assembly line, before someone then came into work who was a shoemaker for their neighbors and got asked to just make the sole of a shoe, mm-hmm. an assembly line, without seeing the bigger whole, without seeing the human impact. Oh. And over time, that's how we have structured our entire economy. Mm-hmm. But now you see the results of that, where people are going back to craft things, craft mm-hmm. beer, mm-hmm. farmers markets, makers markets. Mm-hmm. We have makers markets now. Mm-hmm. It's like we're going back to the farm.
1: Yeah, we had a yeah. client. We have a client that's a makerspace.
0: Yep. You can going go do back. your
1: Pinterest projects.
0: We're we're going back to that yearning for uh, okay. meaningfulness that was there before the assembly line. Now, Emily Durkheim, who is a sociologist during that time, researched the causes of depression and suicide during that time period, mm-hmm. and one of them was chiefly a loss of contribution through work, because mm-hmm. work outside of our family and our friends is one of the only places in which we can transcend ourselves and contribute to something else. And that self-transcendence from a psychological perspective is Mm -hmm. one of the most powerful perspectives, one of the most powerful phenomenon in inducing human thriving. Mm -hmm. Uh, There has been studies done in nursing homes, for example, where they'll take one nursing home and another nursing home, control for all sorts of uh, variables and age and predisposition to risk and early mortality And they'll have one nursing home group uh, take care of a plant and they'll have the other people not. And the early mortality rates of people who had a plant in their rooms were statistically significantly far less. Uh, Cardiovascular health was better. Um, When we transcend ourselves, we become better. Work is one of the only ways to activate that part of wellness, no matter what you do.
1: Mm, That's really, really interesting. And it seems to be a
0: cornerstone of well-being.
1: Yeah, just uh, to take care of others.
0: Having a purpose. You've probably heard of deaths of despair. Yes. Like on the front line, uh, people um, who, because of indignified work,
2: mm-hmm.
0: treated as, they're being treated as just a turnover liability mm-hmm. or they're being treated as just there for a paycheck you know, on these front lower, low-wage, middle-wage jobs. Over time, that grinds away at people and develops despair or hopelessness. They're also less
1: healthy usually too. Less healthy,
0: less likely to live longer, more um, addicted to opioids, more addicted to painkillers, more likely to seek therapy, more likely to be clinically depressed.
1: More alcoholism. What's
0: the common, the commonality there is their workplace. Hmm. I love it. I love it. Like, I don't
1: love that, but I love that there's actual like data to say, hey, look, the way that we work- is easily changed into something extremely positive. It doesn't have to be negative and it affects everything Yeah, the way we work. So it affects our mental health situations here in the, in this country.
0: It mm-hmm. affects,
1: you know, a lot of things. So when we talk about the industrial revolution, I always think about the military, right? Because that's yep. how we've built businesses into like maybe basically militaristic um, yeah. structures. Um, and that always like the first time I saw that, I was like, oh, it's the military. And somebody was like, you got it. You know, because they don't see the whole, but they're supposed to do their piece, right? Mm -hmm. And then they come Mm -hmm. out because of the trauma, because there's also trauma in not having a meaning behind it, right?
0: Yeah, when... And I think one thing the military does well at some aspects Mm -hmm. is good military leaders show the bigger vision and how Mm -hmm. people are part of the plan. Mm -hmm. But most of the time, you could be a grunt just doing one particular thing. Mm -hmm. And the problem is that you're told your identity is the thing. And the problem with hinging our identity on anything is that it can go away. And then Mm -hmm. who are you? And when the bottom drops out, like this, we're in right now, we're talking within the midst of a global pandemic a lot of the things people thought gave them meaning are no longer existent anymore. And so now people are like, what do I do? Yeah, uh, A sense of purpose answers that then what question, mm-hmm. you know? So what do I do now? You know how you contribute and you can mm-hmm. contribu- continue trying to contribute in that way. Um, yeah. And I think that that's missed out in this, just do your part, you know, do your part, do your job and go home. That's as a company, that's easy. That's that mm-hmm. survive, produce and win worldview. Mm-hmm. It's easy to do that. It's actually difficult to enable thriving, but that's when you play the long game and not the short game of constantly seeking short-term results and profit and revenue.
1: Yeah. And it creates sustainability, right? Because if we have meaning in in what we do for people, we want to continue to do it. right? Right. It gets us out of bed, you know, gets us excited to go to work.
0: Yeah, it pulls us forward. I've always said that results push us for the short term. Like mm-hmm. even in your company, if you're a company leader right now, mm-hmm. like you give people a pay increase, they'll, they'll want the next one. Mm-hmm. You give people a purpose, they'll be inspired for a long time. Yeah. You know, yeah. you give people new benefits, they'll be waiting for the next benefit rollout package. Well, what if a, a recession comes mm-hmm. or a big economic collapse where the bonus isn't going to come? So too goes the motivation. Yeah.
1: I mean, sure. I worked and I, I use this example all the time. I worked yeah. for a company, for a CPA firm for a really long time. And my bonuses were based on arbitrary things I could never hit because my job yeah. was to oh, that's gotta people, be frustrating not do billables. <laughs> yeah. So here's train all the people, but we're going to do your bonus based on your billables.
0: I had a vice president for sales at a big, big company mm-hmm. um, say to me after an, after one of my sessions, Zach, this is all really nice, like nice little talk on purpose. I get that a lot, and I love it.
1: A <laughs> little head cut. Uh,
0: I get it because I try to. I, I do get it because mm-hmm. I have a lot of empathy for business leaders because mm-hmm. your your whole survival every day, your identity mm-hmm. is a is judged by your earnings reports, usually if right? you're publicly traded from a board or investors or whatever it is. Yeah. So I have a lot of empathy for that existence. I, the luxury of my job is I don't have to do people's jobs. I can study it. So I'm well aware of that. <laughs> but so this person came up to me and they said to me, um, this VP of sales is exact. you know, when the numbers are down, I just have to tell my team to get the numbers up.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I said, how do you typically do that? And they say, well, uh, we usually adjust individual incentive structures and tell them to get their numbers up. And then I just asked, why don't you do it differently this year and just have a meeting and say, how can we contribute more to the customer to get the numbers up next quarter? Vastly, when I was observing that meeting, vastly different conversation. People hung around, they were brainstorming, they were creative, they were innovative because you're doing the same thing, but you're doing it in a way that connects people to purpose mm-hmm. and it makes them feel more positive emotions, which we know generate creativity, innovative thinking. And it's little tweaks like that. This stuff is not like, you don't have to go do like a 13 week seminar. This is like little tweaks in how we frame the work for uh, other people. Mm-hmm. The same person said, Zach, my people don't collaborate. And I said, let me see your reward structure. And all of the sales team's reward structure was a reward for what? Individual. Individual. <laughs> individual achievement so commissions and so mm-hmm. what you reward is what you become so if you're rewarding for individual achievement don't expect your people to collaborate
1: <laughs> yeah it was always funny though because it's like that bonus structure i was just i looked at it every year and i was like yeah well, i guess something not gonna happen right because it's not my job right right
0: <laughs> exactly so it's it's uh, not anti- what i do
1: i train people that's
0: an integrated system right yeah Like in that scenario, what we did with that client is I I started, why don't we just incentivize for team selling? Mm -hmm. So if you help someone else close a deal, Mm -hmm. they get the same incentive as if they closed it themselves.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Over time, you're going to close more deals (laughs) because people are happier, more collaborative.
1: Right. So crazy.
0: <laughs> Isn't that a remarkable? it's, it yeah, is, like, it's it just a way for like business to mm-hmm. catch up to science almost in a way. Mm-hmm. Like we know these things about human motivation.
2: Yeah.
0: And uh, practicing it and trusting that we know these things about human motivation in practice. I mean, that's the bridge I'm trying to divide in, in mm-hmm. a lot of my work.
1: Yeah. And I think you know, I, every time we talk about this stuff, and on you can tell this is one of my favorite things to talk about because I just find it so fascinating. And, you know, I'll take some of this stuff and I'll try to apply it and then nothing happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nothing changes. Nobody's happier <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. And then it just kind of got, kind of all goes back to how we were doing things before, you know,
0: because. Do you do you s- people, stop doing it.
1: Yes. Because people get really st- stuck in a rut or they get stuck in a place where, you know, how they work is how they work. Um, mm-hmm. And they, maybe they like to be miserable and work. Is that something we find too? Like, that's something I need to understand because I have found that I try, like there's a lot of things I've tried to do, like get people to go find solutions or, mm-hmm. you know, don't just come to me and I expect an answer, go find a solution first. You know, I've tried to do all of that stuff, but that doesn't, that doesn't change how, how they want to do work. Does that make sense?
0: Uh, have you asked, well, one thing you might do <laughs> is ask people what matters to you most in mm-hmm. your work. Mm-hmm. Or, or when in your work did you most experience a sense of meaningfulness? Mm-hmm. Even in that question, what you'll get is a lot of data that you didn't have before. Right. About what people were it. doing, what was happening around them. And then you replicate that. Mm-hmm. The, I think the worst thing to do in the, in the positive org psych realm is to apply a best practice yes. without understanding the context in which you're applying it.
1: Well, cause everybody's different, right? So everybody has different. Yeah. And it has to matter
0: so. to them.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: so easing into this by just asking some of those questions and gathering mm-hmm. data from your people, unique to them, mm-hmm. uh, understanding, you know, what do they find meaningful? And then how mm-hmm. as a leader, can you create an environment that enables them to experience those things more? Mm-hmm. And then ask them that. I mean, I would say, okay, how can I help enable you to experience what you just told me more? That's how I see my role as a leader.
1: I love that. And that's, it's easy, right? You just ask people, you just ask people what they need and then you just do
0: it. Yep. And then keep, and then keep that cycle of reaffirming their impact Mm -hmm. on the work um, in specific ways, showing them how their strengths actually make a difference. And you know, it's uncomfortable at first, to Mm -hmm. be honest with you, sometimes this is uncomfortable. Like when Mm -hmm. I, when I counsel people to go in, like I was working with a healthcare client before this pandemic Mm -hmm. And you'd be surprised of how many people have meaningful jobs. Like, for example, they're a trauma surgeon. I Mm worked with a team of trauma surgeons, yet they don't experience meaningfulness in their job because of the way that the rut they've been in of thinking about it. Mm -hmm. So a trauma surgeon goes in, does a surgery, and they come out and they automatically think about their technique. Did it go well? Did it not go well? This one trauma surgeon told me. Mm -hmm. Very rarely had they thought about the human being that's on the table in a structured way. Mm-hmm. and that had led to a lot of burnout, a lot of cynicism.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: one thing that we tried doing is at the beginning of every huddle that they had at the beginning of the shifts is just talk about a positive human outcome from the last shift mm-hmm. instead of who's in this room, who's in that room, what do they need? Mm-hmm. And um, it was really awkward at first. They didn't want to do it, but you know, six months goes by of doing it every day, mm-hmm. and you start to change things. Uh, Simon Sinek you know, often talks about uh, – Intensity
2: mm-hmm.
0: is not as important as consistency. Right. So, right, like I, I see this all the time where you can start uh, doing something mm-hmm. uh, and say, I'm going to do a big employee wellness thing for a couple months, but it's the daily habits that make it stick.
1: Yeah. That's really interesting. You can see my wheels turning right now. Okay. Yeah. It's funny because, uh, so we do weekly meetings, so Monday mornings, um, and we have oh. a Trello board, and I always say, what, well, what, well, well, the year, you know, the week before. And almost nothing about it ever has, to be, has anything to do with work, <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm glad you took a walk this weekend, but did anything good happen in work this week?
0: <laughs> yeah, you could try, uh, one of my favorite questions is in mm-hmm. the last seven days, which moment has given you the greatest sense of purpose in your life? Mm-hmm. Which moment has given you the greatest sense of purpose in your work? Mm-hmm. What you're going to find is when you ask that question about work, the stories that come up, people will be like, I didn't even know you did that with that client, or I didn't even know that that was Mm -hmm. happening. Mm
2: -hmm. And those
0: are the stories you have to capture, hold on to Mm -hmm. cherish as an organization and create a culture of telling those stories all the time. One of my favorite things is I just tell people to think about their job and think about the moment in which they most felt like their job mattered and what was happening Mm
2: -hmm. and tell it
0: to someone else you'll get a few of the obligatory eye rolls that happen when people get asked the really important questions in life for the first time. <laughs> or the feeling ones. Oh, or the feeling ones, but then, but then what these people talk about, mm-hmm. and I've, I've worked with plumbers, commercial plumbers after a 14 hour shift for three hours on meaning and purpose. You will be so shocked with what comes out. And those stories are the stories that make up your legacy as a business. Mm-hmm.
1: I love it.
0: As a person, it's mm-hmm. really powerful. And, and gathering it's, real. it's not fluffy and, it's real i mean yeah. ask gathering, people
1: that's really cool and gathering those stories in a way where people can like yep. them or i love it um doo, 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 doo. you've gone down all the rabbit holes so let's kind of talk about what's going on right now um what are some of the biggest shifts um you've seen people make and work in the last you know couple months
0: Last couple of months, with, um,
1: uh, pandemic, uh social isolation, stay-at-home orders.
0: Yeah, I think people are really starting to reevaluate. Why? Well, there's two camps. There's people mm-hmm. who are reacting. Mm-hmm. That means like. You know, you feel fear as a leader, you react on fear, you react in the short term, you focus on short term survival, you lay a bunch of people off, Mm
2: -hmm. and you
0: you try to survive, which is totally, completely valid. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, there are people that I've noticed that are taking more of the time to think about their response. Mm -hmm. So responding and reacting are two different things. And one of the ultimate freedoms we have as human beings is to to choose our response to anything Mm -hmm. that's happening. I mean, that's not just a nice to say, it's Mm -hmm. literally true. And um, so what I've been seeing is, is two types of stories. There's a lot of people who are feeling a fear Mm -hmm. and uncertainty and kind of mourning the fact that you may have to lay people off that you care about. Mm -hmm. I always say that it's okay to feel those emotions and normal, but it's not a good idea to act on them. So uh, my my advice to people during this time has been to really think about those emotions that you're feeling, mm-hmm. create some space to choose a response that focuses on things like opportunity. Mm-hmm. What is our purpose? Like for example, if you're a business that's struggling right now, instead of saying, "How do we get through this?" ask yourself, "Who needs us to get through this?"
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's a very different conversation. And so I've had some people that I've worked with who are doing that type of work and it's really regenerative I mean I had a client who needed to lay people off that brought the people they needed to lay off and asked them how he should do it you talk about vulnerability but you talk about creating a community of people that are going to be there when you need to hire them again Mm -hmm. there are ways to do this work in a positive compassionate way so I'm seeing a lot of that but I'm also seeing a lot of fear and a lot of um, emotions that are being acted upon Mm -hmm. i think that's something we can all reflect on right now
1: yeah um i felt and i was actually josh and i were talking josh Beisman and i were talking about this he's like how are you doing i was like i have to do something positive otherwise yeah you know otherwise i'm gonna
0: yep i could go to a really dark place me too and I, I study think we all can. Ecology.
1: Yeah. And I think we all can. Right. Um, and you know, really early in this whole stay at home order stuff and like all the legislation and cause of what I do is tax stuff. Like this is crazy time for us. Um, was like I'm just going to put our Facebook group together because people need resources, proper resources. You know, people that's need awesome. a place to answer questions and I, that, that's what I do. Um, And I was like, this is an opportunity to, you know, we were waiting and, you know, I was just not ready. And I was like, I'm opening the group. Let's do it. Mm -hmm. So at least people have good resources and somebody to talk to about it or somebody to ask questions of. Yeah.
0: The other thing I would say is for people, uh, you know, one thing that I'm trying to do is just create a little space to reflect. It's not Mm -hmm. necessarily natural to me all the time
1: Mm -hmm.
2: uh,
0: because I like going and doing things, Mm -hmm. uh, but really creating that space to reflect because resilience is a developmental trajectory. So we don't, You know, we don't thrive uh, despite challenges like this. We thrive because of them and because of what we learn through them and -hmm. the resources we build through them. Mm -hmm. So as a leader, if you're not able to understand how you are making it through well right now, what Mm -hmm. what are you doing well right now? Mm -hmm. um, You cannot develop a learning trajectory that builds resilience. The same thing with an organization, making sure that you know what strengths you have to move through this well and investing in those instead of just solving problems, Mm -hmm. uh, that's gonna go a long way towards building resilience over time. Yeah. So unfortunately, you need events like this to build resilience.
1: I think that's so true. Um, And I've been telling business owners, what's that thing that you've been putting off that you've been wanting to do in your business? Is it processes? Is it systems? Is it putting some stuff online? Is it, what is the thing that's been sitting on the back burner that's always in the back of your head? Like, this is the thing I really want to do. Now's the time.
0: Yeah. Or just reflect on what I know for me, I've been in business for myself and my consultancy for five Mm -hmm. years. And sometimes I'm like, what have I been doing well? (laughs) Like, what have I been doing? How has this worked?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And 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 creating a
0: plan based on that, like just creating this pause right now is reflecting Mm -hmm. on like, who am I? Like even as a business, you can have an existential crisis where you ask like, who am I? (laughs) Why am I? Why are we here?
1: Yeah. uh,
0: But those are like the really Mm
1: -hmm. powerful
0: long game questions.
1: Yeah. And I think, those are the businesses that are gonna survive.
0: Oh, they will, yeah. The
1: ones that are just like, okay, you know, looking back and like, okay, well, we're changing this. Yep. Is it sustainable? Are we doing this? Like, this is a great time to look back. Yep. Um, and figure out how you're gonna move forward. And you know, I, uh, yep. I had a business owner be like, well, all my stuff got closed down. Okay, so go put it online. Well, that takes time and money. Okay, you're, di- you're gonna die, I can't help you. <laughs>
0: Yeah. You're, what you're talking about is brilliant because it's the, in psychology, we call it the path of possibility and the path mm-hmm. of limitation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you choose the path of limitation, focus on the challenges, what's wrong, what's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. You create negative emotions, which narrow our attention and our function to respond to the things that's stressing us out in the first place. <laughs> right. and we go down a negative spiral. And it's um, okay to
1: do that because I think a lot of us right. are doing that. Um,
0: it is okay to do that.
1: Yeah. But I think you have to decide to take the other path.
0: Yeah. Like so Again, like I say this, like I love, there's a lot of like liberating messages on, on social media that are like, yeah. it's normal to be upset and pissed and all that. And I mm-hmm. say, yes, normal. Good. Not a good idea yeah. to act on them. Yeah. Make decisions on them. Right. But when you're about to act or make a decision, you've got to create some space.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I do a lot of meditation, but it's like, feel like feel the feeling, you know, oh, yeah. you just feel it, you notice it and then you move on right? So by giving it, you know, a little bit of space, then you can, mm-hmm. okay, I felt it or I did it or whatever, you know, that distraction or whatever, I'm acknowledging you. Yeah. But then I'm going to go do what I should be doing or get back to what I was doing. Um, and that's really helped me too, to just to kind of like remember, um, I can just throw it and then <laughs> to me, it's a river going by me and I just throw it in the river. Cause that's just my, my personal imagery, um, on the negative emotions. Uh, but you know, I, and I'm trying to be vulnerable about this, but I sat down when, uh, my daughter climbed into my lap on a Saturday, like a few weeks into this. And I just start crying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's like, okay, are you okay? And I was like, just hold my, just, just, just hold mommy right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah. then after that, I was like, okay, I'm good. Like, I just needed to let it out. I just needed to go.
0: Yeah, I had a massive panic attack as I was in mm-hmm. the um, parking lot of my kids' daycare and I got oh. the fourth email in a row. And I, I lost about 50% of my in-person consulting oh, my work gosh. in a Friday afternoon.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I had, I, But I did realize that I had, I had subtly, as someone who studies purpose and meaning, had s- subtly hinged my identity in what I did.
1: Mm. On those and, contracts.
0: Yeah, and then and when it was gone, Mm-hmm. I I was left like who am I? And I remember I went to my kid's daycare, and I uh, he, he came running up. My two year old he came running up, gave me a hug, and he wanted to show two me this aunts. this um, frog or something he <laughs> finger painted. Just looked like a green ball, but yeah, frog he finger painted. And I realized like he does not care mm-hmm. about my revenue forecast. <laughs> David Brooks, who's the columnist for the New York Times, he wrote this column. I'll send it to you after this mm-hmm. podcast. I love it about. Uh, the difference between resume virtues, the things we acquire and achieve to make ourselves look good or be successful, mm-hmm. and eulogy virtues, the things we want people to say about us at our funeral.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And the eulogy virtues are almost always what matters. Yeah. So, so how do you run a business thinking about your eulogy virtues, mm-hmm. what you want people to remember you by, your legacy by? And I say to leaders like right now, people are not gonna remember you right now for your spreadsheets and financial mm-hmm. projections. <laughs> They're going to remember you for your for being here, purpose, vision, compassion, Mm -hmm. empathy.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I think you know, just a couple more things I'm like observing right now. But the accounting world—I mean, we're dealing with this like unknown entity PPP loan stuff and the SBA Mm -hmm. stuff—and it's literally like without guidance and constantly changing. And we're building the plane as we're flying it, and it's just been very interesting Mm -hmm. to watch how the accounting world works on this because we don't do well with uncertainty. We like to have concrete answers to whatever we're working on. Generally, we're pretty, generally tend to be pretty black and white. Some of us are Mm -hmm. more gray, more creative, things like that. But most of us are pretty black black and white, especially with when we're dealing with tax code and how these things are going to work for our clients. And we've gotten, a lot of us have had to really get comfortable with saying, I don't know. Mm. I don't know.
0: It's hard. That's good self awareness, though. It is, I, self-awareness. it is good that accountants are all of those things you said.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah that's, accountants, right? that's, that's that's are, yeah. that's your purpose. Yeah. That's part
0: of your, the purpose of being an accountant.
1: Well, it's our strengths, right? Right. You know, our strengths are understanding how things work, our strengths are, you know, applying mm. how things work. Um, but people are having to get really, really comfortable with saying, I really, really don't know. And there is mm. no answer. So mm. I can't go find you an answer. Because there isn't one. Don't one, thing have that I, one.
0: One thing that I do with people is I ask them, like when they're in a situation like this where it's mm-hmm. amb- amb- like there's a lot of ambiguity, mm-hmm. I just say, when have you been in ambiguity in the past and what did you do well to make it through it? Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes that liberates the strengths you already have
1: mm-hmm.
0: that you forget about. Yeah, um, And it can be a, an empowering feeling that you've been through ambiguity before mm-hmm. and you have resources to make it through. That's that whole resilience is developmental.
1: Heart. Yeah, You know, and I've always worked with my team. Like you can say, I don't know.
0: Yeah. That's okay. Yeah.
1: Yep. You say, I don't know. And then you go find the answer.
0: Yeah. That's but great.
1: Now there is no answer. So it's like a whole nother layer of, I don't know.
0: Yeah. And the system's crashing, right? <laughs> I was reading.
1: <laughs> but You'll talk- be okay. We're-
0: <laughs> Going back to your metaphor with the mindfulness metaphor. I loved yeah. it. As yeah. The river, right? Impermanent.
1: Yeah. yeah it's everything impermanent. Comes,
0: everything goes.
1: Yeah. We just don't know. We're just going to throw it in the river yeah. for now.
0: It'll come back. I'm trying to find certainty in an inherently uncertain world is, is a recipe for frustration.
1: I think it is. I think it is a recipe for frustration. I have people that are constantly on email. Well, what about this? Has it, up- has it been updated?
0: Blah, blah, blah And I'm like, yeah. I'll let you know when I know. You are best to understand, but
1: yeah. You know, I'll let you know when I know, Yeah, you know, and we've, I've had to let go of it because yeah. there's nothing I can do. I can spend hours and hours researching and reading stuff and whatever, but nobody knows. And if the people who are smarter than me then don't know, then I can't, I got nothing.
0: And for your listeners, like what you're saying, Mm -hmm. that's a good practice. Mm -hmm. This is a very important practice. Yeah. Mindfulness, creating the space, Mm -hmm. um, understanding emotions as they arise. Mm -hmm. Those are all important. Cause it goes back to those things like positive meaning. Do I know what I'm doing matters?
1: Mm -hmm. Experiencing
0: positive emotions. And then, having those relationships with other people. Yeah.
1: Um, okay. So before I ask my last question, uh, what is the easiest way for people to find you?
0: So I am at Zach Mercurio.com. Okay. I have a monthly Social. newsletter called the spark uh-huh. where I send a lot of my thoughts and research and practices around purpose and meaningfulness in work mm-hmm. and in life, Okay. positive psychology. And so uh, that would be a great place. And then, I'm really into LinkedIn right now. I like LinkedIn a lot, Zach Mercurio. LinkedIn. And then luckily, my first and last name combination is incredibly rare. So it's that same handle, Zach everywhere. Mercurio, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter.
1: <laughs> All the Zach Facebook, Everywhere. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I got that too. Unless you're in, um, unless you're in Ireland. There's a lot of Jamie Kings yes. in Ireland. Yes.
0: In and then story. I wrote a book called The Invisible Leader. Um, transform your life, work, and organization with the power of authentic purpose. I say this book is especially for people who are just interested mm-hmm. or skeptical because it really helps lay out, you know, some of the science and data behind this, but then mm-hmm. some really practical ways of how to start doing it.
1: I'm all about those practical ways. Yeah, just give me the tools.
0: Yeah, I know, these ideas are, have to be practiced.
1: I've been, I've been. It's just. I've been working with a bunch of people on, on marketing right now. Like I've talked to a bunch of marketing people and some of it's like, some of them talking like very like nebulous, blah, blah, blah. blah and I'm just like,
0: wait, What do I do? <laughs> right.
1: Tell yeah. me what to do, <laughs> please. <Yeah. laughs> just tell me what to do. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, what is the one thing a business owner can do today to make their business a better place to work?
0: I would say right now mm-hmm. today mm-hmm. where we are, mm-hmm. Is I would say, if you can, have conversations with your immediate team, one-on-one, and make sure each person knows not just that they matter, but how they matter. Mm -hmm. Show them them how their work, the evidence of how it contributes to that bigger outcome, who it impacts, and ask them, do you understand this? Do you see this in your everyday work? Mm -hmm. Um, And then ask them that question, in what ways do you experience meaningfulness mm-hmm. while you're here? When does your work matter to you? Just that conversation can really open the door uh, because you, you learn things about your workforce. Usually than you don't during the everyday sort of the, the routine. Mm-hmm. I call it the tyranny of the urgent. Mm-hmm. And so take some of that time that you may have now to, to, to do that, to ask those important questions.
1: What if they say they have nothing?
0: That's the best thing you can get. (laughs) Right? Yeah. So if you say, hey, tell me about a time when you experienced your work as most meaningful, and they say, I really don't experience it as meaningful. Mm -hmm. That should be a signal to you that they are not experiencing the evidence of their own meaning and mattering. Almost Mm -hmm. all people issues are systems issues. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So asking asking yourself as a leader and asking them, well, what part of this environment doesn't show you that you... Mm -hmm matter and have meaning and oftentimes that's don't be afraid of that that's that people are afraid of that that's a really good point i'm glad you brought that up Mm -hmm. i think a lot of people i talk to are afraid of asking that question for fear of people won't be able to answer it Mm -hmm. but that's the best once you get there you can go anywhere once you get to the real experience you can Mm -hmm. can get people there i've never met one person i and i've had people tell me oh there's nothing Mm -hmm. you know i i was just working three months ago with an accountant at a Mm -hmm. large construction company Mm -hmm. And they said, you know, my work doesn't matter. I, I just manage payroll. I mean, that's all I do. And I said, I did that thing. I said, what would happen if you, did it, if you didn't do it?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, we wouldn't be able to do anything else. You get down the line with people. People wouldn't get paid. <laughs> but because she was so into the routine,
1: mm-hmm.
0: she hadn't stopped and thought about why her work mattered. Mm-hmm. I think leaders can open it up like that.
2: Interesting. Bring people
0: down the line, show them.
1: <laughs> just making notes. <laughs> awesome. Zach, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciated it. Yeah. It's really fun. We could do this all
0: day. It is. I know. <laughs> interesting stuff. Thanks for your, thanks for your practices too that yeah. you've been doing personally. Yeah. I it's I so mean, valuable for people to hear.
1: Yeah. I mean, I just do what I can right now. Yeah. One thing saying. that
0: I've stopped doing is like one, one quick practice is that normally we pick up our phones in the morning. and We say, hey, what do I need to do today? Mm-hmm. I have started looking at it and just thinking about who I might connect with through what I'm doing.
1: Oh, I and love that. And has
0: changed everything because it's, instead of daunting, it's opportunity. So there's these little mindset things you can do daily. Just try it for a week. Uh, refuse to ask yourself that question, what do I need to do today? <sighs> what do I need and to ask do? who am I gonna connect with or impact today? It's a big shift.
1: Oh, I love that.
0: Because I found myself getting into that last year, yeah, uh, and I, I, I was feeling some dread in the morning for some reason. And I started doing that just in my head. Oh gosh, I'm I'm interacting with a lot of people today, even though it's mm-hmm. a mundane day for me, and it made the day seem different.
1: I really love that because I do. I spend a lot of time like, dicking around instead of like sitting down at my desk because it's just like yeah. you know the task list is just yeah. like I yeah. don't want to yeah. deal with it. Yeah. Awesome. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Jamie.
0: It. Thank
1: you so much for listening or watching. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube, iTunes, or wherever you prefer to listen. If you learned something and found some useful information to apply to your business today, please consider giving us a thumbs up and a review. Until next week, be abundant.